Welcome to the Gamer's Inn. Come on in, pull up a chair next to the fire. It looks like you've had a long journey. I'm your host, Jocelyn, and joining me as always is my co-host, Ryan. Hello, Ryan. Hello, welcome back. Yes, thank you so much for covering for me last week. You guys had an awesome show. It was, uh, yeah, it was nice to have something to listen to on my way back. (laughs) Oh, awesome. Yeah, Josh and I, we just, I, I basically, we had him on the show, and I said to him, you know what? I'm saving Days Gone for next week, but I want to know what you've been playing. And Josh has been, Josh has been playing a lot of stuff. So uh, we got, we had to chat about a, a good ton of stuff. Yeah, Josh has actually been streaming quite a lot lately. And uh, well, for the for the past six or eight months, I guess. So yeah, mm-hmm. if, you, if you haven't checked out his uh, Twitch channel, he is quite entertaining. I find him very, very funny. So you guys should go and check that out. Uh, you should also check out, uh, I was away because I was working for DreamHack. So I was down in Dallas and I was working the DreamHack Pro Circuit, which is the Rocket League uh, league, I guess. Um, and it was actually really, really fun. And even if you're not super into Rocket League, I think there were a lot of really entertaining matches and the commentators did a really good job of explaining things and explaining, you know, the history and why certain matchups were interesting uh, in terms of the players and their relationships and stuff. So it was a very, very entertaining three days of esports. So if you guys are into just esports in general and haven't given Rocket League uh, a look yet, I would very, very much recommend going and checking out uh, the videos from Dallas. My name actually got in the credits and I was so happy. (laughs) I saw, I think uh, Manny had posted that into the Discord. So everyone got to see that. So that was awesome. Yeah. So that was, that was really cool. So yeah, again, that's the DreamHack Pro Circuit. It's all Rocket League stuff. It's on uh, twitch.tv slash DreamHack Rocket League, which I know is really long and it's probably the worst Twitch channel ever, but that's what it's called. And uh, so you can check out the VODs there or they're also over on YouTube. So yeah, go check it out. It was a lot of fun. It was a good week and I am so glad to be home. I'm so glad to be back <laughs> to talk all things Days Gone. So guys, we are going to go full on spoiler here. So if you don't want to be spoiled on the story of Days Gone, then I know it sucks, but turn off the show now. We will be doing pre-E3 odds and ends a little bit later on in the show, but maybe maybe try skipping ahead about a, a half an hour, 40 Dude. minutes, because uh, yeah, we're going to go full spoilers. I was going to say, maybe we should have talked about this pre-show, but do we want to swap things around and just do the news now and then people can jump out? Sure. Actually, that would be, that's a much better idea than, you know, accidentally fast forwarding 30 minutes instead of 32 and then like, ending. It would (laughs) have been funnier if you said like, no, Ryan, that's ridiculous. (laughs) We're going to talk about Days Gone. (laughs) Uh, No, actually, no, it's a really, really good idea to put, uh, to put news off the top. So yeah, E3 odds and ends stuff. Uh, First of all, Nintendo had not a Nintendo Direct, but a Pokemon Direct. So, mm-hmm. Ryan, why don't you go over all the new Pokemon news that we heard from this event? Yeah, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna like spend it t- t- too much time on this, but yeah, they had a Pokemon Direct, Pokemon Shield, and Pokemon Sword, which essentially boils down to two dogs having a knife and a and a shield fight. But but think of it this way, Jocelyn. Oh, I understand so much more of the internet now. Okay. <laughs> So the, I have seen so many dogs with swords on my Twitter feed, and I didn't understand it at all. Yeah, but here's <laughs> but the thing: like one of the wolves why. has a, is carrying the the sword in his mouth, as yeah. you should. But the other wolf has the it, the shield is like part of his face. That seems dangerous. <laughs> you know? Yeah, you don't want part of your face to be the thing protecting the rest of you. <laughs> yeah, like you have to strategically place your face in order to block. The, it, it was just, it just didn't seem like smart evolution. 
and I feel like Pokemon Sword is probably the one. Although you I guess go that's with. kind of what a, like a Triceratops is with that big frilly shield thingy. That's true. That's kind of behind their face. Mm. It definitely protects the rest of them. Interesting. So is this a dinosaur Pokemon? Is that what you're saying? I think what we're saying is this is a dinosaur Pokemon. Okay. All right. Well, my, tables have turned. Pokemon Shield is the way to go. Uh, <laughs> they'll be launching on November 15th globally on Nintendo Switch. I don't know why I slowed down there weirdly. <laughs> I think because I was reading. Also, okay. Um, interesting thing. This now marks the three years since um, Breath of the Wild's come out. It's been about two and a half years. And now we're going to start seeing, I think this E3 will be the first E3 where we start seeing those, whether we like it or not, those definitive sort of um, inspired by moments where a game is unveiled and it's like, oh, they played Breath of the Wild. And this game has a wild area which is essentially the space between cities where you can see Pokemon roaming in the wild and you kind of explore and it's got, you know, weather systems and a day night cycle and it changes based on when you're visiting, which Pokemon show up, all that fun stuff. And it really takes Pokemon to the next level in terms of exploration where I believe in previous Pokemon games, it was like, oh, there were some Pokemon that showed up during the day and some that showed up during the night. But really, like, if you wanted to catch a Squirtle, you had to go to the Squirtle area at the Squirtle time, you know? Uh, Same bat Squirtle, same bat channel. I mean, I know that you said that you think it's inspired by Breath of the Wild, Mm -hmm. and I mean, the fact that it's called a wild area, sure, I'm sure that there's some (laughs) uh, inspiration that comes from Breath of the Wild from that Zelda game, but at the same time, I don't know if you're still playing Pokemon Go, that's something I did a lot of in Dallas, because our hotel actually had two gyms in it that I could just barely hit from my room, so... I played a lot of Pokemon Go by standing still or actually just laying in my bed. It was glorious. And um, one thing that they do in Pokemon Go is there is like whatever the like weather is, is reflected in the app and there are weather boosted Pokemon. Mm-hmm. So they'll they'll show up more often, you know, when it's raining, different Pokemon will show up when it's sunny or cloudy or whatever. There's there's different Pokemon that, that spawn. So I think that like this is the idea of weather based Pokemon spawns is not new to Pokemon, but mm-hmm. um, I can see what you're saying about probably a little bit of the open world Zelda influence as yeah. well. But. It was really the way they portrayed it in that it was like mm. this big, vast area with large cities in the background, you know, on the horizon as you're walking through this area. And even even then, it didn't really come close to what I think Breath of the Wild was able to portray because this is kind of still a smaller world, but um, some might even on the show, agree that that's probably a good design choice. Uh, but I think it's it's interesting, and I think it's a ex- it's an expansion of what we've come to expect from Pokemon. And uh, another thing, the gimmick, uh, as some have said for this one, is that they have giant Pokemon now. They're called Dynamax, uh, which I mean, giant Pokemon sounds so much easier. And essentially, they're they're they are what they sound like. They're just these giant Pokemon uh, that happen in special circumstances so sometimes in gym battles you can kind of make your pokemon larger and then you can fight that way uh but there are also pokemon raids where you join up with people on the internet to fight giant pokemon and also a pokemon go thing (laughs) exactly no yeah it very much felt like a like straight out of pokemon go like this worked in pokemon go and we're bringing this over to 
you know, Pokemon Sword and Shield. So I yeah. got some strong feelings there as a as a Pokemon Go player too. So, but uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how all this stuff works at launch. I'm sure we'll get a little bit more at E3, but a majority of the Pokemon news has basically been unveiled. So uh, yeah, yeah, because we do actually we have a okay so. Is the Nintendo conference on Tuesday actually at E3? Are they back? No, no, no. Yeah, it's still, okay. it's still a Nintendo <laughs> it's Direct. It's still their own thing. Okay, but there is another Nintendo-specific show happening. It just isn't actually at E3. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, the thing we're all looking for is the Nintendo Direct, which is Tuesday at noon. And then there's the Treehouse Live, which is the two days of streaming Tuesday, Wednesday, right after, starting right after the direct, and that is physically at E3. So they are right. at E3. They are doing, you know, a show, quote unquote, there. But um, their announcements are are still the YouTube video that that'll go live, basically. Right. Um, but yeah. Uh, we also got some more details about Stadia. So this is, if you guys remember from, uh, I guess, a couple months ago now, uh, Google had the big announcement about their game streaming service. And so now we have more information, uh, which includes a price. And actually, it's not as bad as I thought it was going to be. So it's $170 Canadian, which mm -hmm. it's is like 130 the, American. Yeah, for the Founders Bundle. Mm hmm. So that includes just a, a whole bunch of stuff. So the, the Chromecast thing that you need to actually do stuff on your TV, it gives you the controller, which is awesome because, I mean, I'm assuming that the controller is going to be easy to use. But, I mean, if you look at even like pro controllers or the Joy-Cons for the Switch, I mean, those things are like 80 bucks. So mm -hmm. controllers, at least like recently have not been cheap so a big chunk of this price i'm sure comes from just straight up the controller um you also get three a three month pro sub which i'm assuming is just their yay your sub do you get to stream our games subscription um then, well it's 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 a little yeah go through this and we'll talk about it okay and then there is a three month buddy pass as well as priority name selection which is very cool because somebody else's Joss plays in a few places and it makes me really bad. <laughs> and then uh, you also get Destiny 2. So I'm not a huge... I probably won't play Destiny 2, but the rest of this is uh, is compelling. Mm -hmm. so, so here's the thing that's really interesting about this. And I'm also on the side of cautiously optimistic and yes cautiously optimistic is a good way to put it yeah and i mean i'm not rushing out to put my 170 dollars down just yet but you're right like when you look at a chromecast ultra these things go on sale all the time however it's a hundred dollar device here in canada and it's 4k compatible which i i just got a 4k television i have very limited 4k sort of streaming dongles and Content. yeah you know and, yeah. and you're right like everything kind of connected to that that does 4k can do what a chromecast could however still a good value for for what is a very handy tool um and you're right the controller is a 70 dollars value uh and it kind of looks a lot like a pro controller for the switch which i'm mm -hmm. i'm down for more of that type of controller like an xbox feel type yeah controller. like the bigger bulkier heavier controllers yeah it looks really cool uh the pro sub is interesting so this is launching this fall the pro sub is the only way you're going to be able to test out and play stadia when it launches in the fall 
Um, and what that sub gets you is access to 4K streaming, as well as a collection of games that you won't have to pay for. You're getting them through the sub. And that's where Destiny 2 comes in. That's the only game they've confirmed for the sub so far. We don't know if it's going to operate like Game Pass or if it's going to operate like maybe um, PlayStation Plus or uh, Xbox Live where they kind of drip feed you game by game. And Mm -hmm. if you have the sub, you have access to it. We have no idea how it's going to work. Personally, I'm hoping for more of a Game Pass approach because at $12 a month outside of the Founders Bundle, that's that's a lot to just be able to stream a game, you know? Um, yeah. But still, I mean, I know they have to charge something and it is nice that they're offering like that base sub in 2020 that's going to be free and that's 1080p streaming. So you'll be able to use your Stadia at 1080p with the games you own at no cost, which yeah. is pretty good considering that you're using their infrastructure, right? Yeah, so basically, just between the Chromecast and the controller, we've already hit the, like, cost of the bundle, right? So basically, everything else is bonus. Everything else is what you get for buying this bundle. So three months of the Pro Sub, so that's, like, what, $36 value? Yeah. Right? 12 bucks a month for three months? Yep, that's right. Math. <laughs> uh, so tell me about the Buddy Pass. So the Buddy Pass is interesting. This is essentially Pro, three months of Pro that you can then gift to a friend. Uh, so say, for example, you picked up the Founders Bundle and you wanted to let somebody else try or play with you, you could then you know, give that pass to them and they could play, play Destiny 2 so- with you. For Stadia, what hardware do you actually have to have? Because, for instance, we have a Chromecast. Mm-hmm. So if I have a Chromecast, do I only have to go out and buy the controller, or do I have to have the Ultra Chromecast? Or, that... you know, because I'm thinking, like, as cool as it is to have a three month pro sub and then a three month pass that I can give to a friend, if my friend then doesn't have the Chromecast Ultra and the Stadia, it's not like they can just go play, right? Yeah. I, I'm honestly not sure. I think your device has to support uh, some sort of input. And that input has to be specifically like... Like the Stadia controller uses a specific type of co- technology that they say will decrease input lag, right? I think it's like a direct mm-hmm. Wi-Fi approach. Again, I, I don't really um, know all the yeah, details, I, but... I feel like the first time we talked about Stadia, we yep. made it very clear that <laughs> we do not understand the tech. We are going totally on Google's word here because mm-hmm. I cannot even begin to tell you what half of the things mean that they were talking about when they were talking about networks and input lags and, and all. And like, I understand what a network is and I understand mm-hmm. what input lag is, but what I don't understand is how one technology would somehow be better than another technology. So when they say, Oh, we developed a thing. I'm like, good for you. I assume it works. <laughs> uh, yeah. And I mean, that's the thing. I, I am not 100% sure, but I believe that the Founders Bundle obviously gives you the surefire way of accessing Stadia. And I don't know, right. like, I tested my connection on my iPad and it said, hey, you're good for 4K streaming. We've, you know, clocked you at 35 megabytes per second. It's all good. But that didn't say, like, you can play on your iPad. Um, yeah. I- I'm sure this information's out there, but again, I think that if you're not using a device that they have pretty much said this is going to work, you're probably going to see some dips in performance because I'm I'm assuming that it not everything is built the same, but 
I I truly believe I think that you'll be able to play in a Chrome browser. Like that's kind of that's kind of how this is supposed to work is you load up Stadia in your browser and then that allows every computer you have to work. But then yeah, are you having to true. plug your device in like or are you connecting your controller to your MacBook like who knows. Um we'll have to see how that works and and really that's the biggest thing is like they've done these splashy presentations but no real demos have I've never I haven't really seen a lot of demos of this being worked on, you know. Mm-hmm. So I need to see it. I need to see the press get a hold of this so that they can then say like, no, yeah, it works. Like I, I tried it. I brought my MacBook. I logged in and I connected the controller and it was fine. So like yeah. that's that's the interesting part for me. And I, I but again on the other side, I'm kind of like I don't have a Chromecast Ultra. Controller looks really slick. I might, you know, look at giving this a shot. And then also being able to talk about it on the show is kind of also another thing that, you know, makes it a little bit of an easier pill to swallow, right? Yeah, um, 100%. 100%. Yeah. So, and again, like you said, uh, Destiny 2 has been confirmed. So uh, that's the whole thing, right? Yeah, so they just announced a new expansion. We're not going to go into detail here. But yeah, Destiny 2 is the whole thing. And that is something you, you will not own as my as i understand but something that is part of the pro sub and right so that's that's kind of the whole thing with all of this right it's the exact same idea as netflix is that you will be streaming a catalog of games from google you don't own them just the same as i don't own stranger things no but you can access it and watch it as long as it is available on their service yeah and i the other thing too is like you're going to be able to buy stadia games um they announced a couple other games like uh i don't think this means it might not mean anything to us but Baldur's gate 3 which i know means a lot to Mm. a lot of people um that also got confirmed for stadia and they didn't mention whether it would be part of the sub or whether you just have to buy it but being subbed having a pro sub does give you discounts towards uh, games on the stadia store so but again like in terms of details of how much games are going to cost whether you're getting like a a plethora of games with the sub or just one per month that you're going to be added slowly. Like we don't have those details and this launches in the fall. Uh, I'm still waiting on, on the games and that seriously, that's the most important part when it comes to a platform is the games. I don't care if I can play destiny two on stadia because I can play destiny two on my PC right now. I want to see some like, some crazy stuff that's not going to work on my current hardware, but will work because of streaming technology. That's mm. where I'm really interested. Um, and see, for me, I think like I'm interested because of things like Mortal Kombat 11, mm. where it's like I'm never going to go and buy it, but I'd like to try it. So that's where I think um, just subscriptions in general for streaming games, as long as it works well... That's where my interest lies is like kind of poking my head in and trying like not a demo experience, but like a full game experience. If I like it, I get to keep going. Hmm. Um, I'm I, that's kind of what I'm interested in is like, you know, is something like Mortal Kombat 11 that a lot of people seem to really enjoy that. You know, I loved Mortal Kombat when I was little. And, you know, to be honest, I can't remember if I love Mortal Kombat when I was little because I wasn't supposed to be playing it or because it was actually a good game. But, you know, either way, it was like, oh, we get to play Mortal Kombat. But, like, I know I'm not, as a a grown woman now, I know I'm not a fan of fighting games, so I didn't bother with Mortal Kombat 11. But 
if I had Stadia and they were like, oh, hey, you can play Mortal Kombat 11 however much you want, whenever you want, anywhere you want. I'd be like, sure, I'll try this. Why not? <laughs> so that's where Stadia interests me. Um, which is funny because like I haven't really given any of the other subscription like I I don't have um, oh crap what's it called the Xbox one Game Pass Game Pass I don't have Game Pass Um, but I don't know like for some reason this seems more interesting to me yeah I'm really curious about the technology and like I said to get my hand like I did this with the Steam Link and the Steam Controller like I, I purchased that stuff um, I think a year after it came out. So it was at a discount, but I purchased it in the sense that like, oh, I want to try this. I want to see where we're at. You know, and I tried the Steam Link app on, on iOS because I wanted to see where we're at. And and it's getting there and it's really cool. Uh, it's just, I kind of want to see it done. <laughs> this is going to sound terrible, but I want to see it done perfectly. And I think Google seems to be talking a big game here. Like they've, they've mm-hmm. got it working. And well, be Google a is a huge huge friggin company right mm-hmm. like they're they're like isn't anybody in the internet space <laughs> bigger than google and i'm sure somebody's gonna say well actually but it seems to me like they have a pretty good handle and a lot of resources on the internet how it works like google fiber like they've got the networking stuff mm-hmm. i don't know it just it seems to me like Google is probably very well positioned to make this work. So I am, like we said, off the top of this news story, cautiously optimistic. I think it's intriguing. And I want to see, like you said, once people actually get hands on, I want to see people who are smarter than me about things like networking and input lag give an honest opinion about uh, the actual performance of this. So in in a real world setting, too, because, again, like I I think you and I will both have different experiences i think people who have high speed as opposed to fiber will have a, a very different experience and, and yeah. that's that's where it'll be interesting so this is launching this fall i think in in a bunch of territories much wider than i thought because usually this type of stuff and this is where i think google talks a big game and can kind of swing their weight around like the fact that it's coming to canada alongside the united states and a bunch of european countries is kind of a big deal because normally mm-hmm. with with a technology dependent on internet they would kind of, and a, an American company, they would kind of just be like, US only, let's test this thing out, and then yeah. we'll go wide. That's usually how this stuff works. And the fact that they're going, you know, shotgun approach is, again, it's, uh, it's a daunting task. But I mean, Google seems to be up for the challenge. So... Yeah, so I look forward to uh, to seeing what this is actually going to look like. You guys can go now over to uh, store.google.com and check out Stadia. Uh, you can actually do a speed test, like Ryan mentioned earlier, to see how your connection is actually going to fare. And they recommend uh, 10 megabits per second for 720, 60 frames, uh, 20 for 1080, 60, and 35 for full 4K. So I did the test just now while you were uh, talking, Ryan, and apparently our connection is good to go for 4K, 60 frames per second, which seems unbelievable. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I, I also did it, and, you know, 4K was like, I have... Netflix streams that chug sometimes. I have 4K streams that chug sometimes, and that's like, and that's when they're buffering. You know, they've they've been buffered and they kind of hit a snag. So again, like, I was watching the Stadia video while it was going, and it was also staggering. <laughs> so like, 
sure, when you did that speed test, it worked at 35, you know, to get 4K, but it's like, I don't know, guys, like, I gotta see it. I wish there was a, you know, maybe there's a way to test it. Maybe there's a way to, like, purchase the Founders Bundle, but also test it out. Like, I'd almost, like, I'd almost sub for a month just to try it and then, and then buy a Founders Bundle down the road, you know, like, maybe not pre-purchase well, I mean, it. Like- yeah, and I mean the good thing too about the Founders Bundle, right? Like we said, the Chromecast itself is a hundred dollar piece of kit, and we have Chromecasts on our TVs, like older versions of the Chromecast, and freaking love it. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's great tech. So, I feel like again, this is somewhere where Google is um, well poised to kind of take advantage of some of their their kind of household tech, is because like. A lot of people just already have Chromecasts. So, yeah, maybe not the Ultra, but if you can just pick up a, a controller and, you know, that $70 um, investment is really all you need, or you've been looking for an excuse to get a Chromecast, it's like, well, why not bundle it with the gaming thing, too? It's just, it's a lot easier of a sell than a, than a four or five or $600 uh, console. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I look forward to hearing more. I'm sure we're going to hear a lot of reveals over the course of E3, which is coming up this weekend. So I'm sure we're going to hear a lot more over the next few days about Stadia experiences tied to some of the games that are going to be announced by your favorite gaming companies. Uh, we are not covering E3 live, but we are going to be doing a recap next week. So uh, first of all, we've got on Sunday, June 9th, Microsoft is doing a presentation at 4 p.m., uh, all these times are in Eastern. I'm sorry, guys. I am not converting everything for you or we'll be here forever. I did, however, see, and I think I retweeted, a somebody who made a, an Excel sheet that was all color-coded of the days and times when all the presentations were happening. It was genius. It was mm-hmm. perfect, and I loved it. So, uh, yeah, you guys, I think I retweeted it. You should be able to find it on my, on my Twitter feed if you're looking for it. Um, but anyway, so, yeah, Microsoft, 4 p.m. Bethesda is at 8.30 I'm that's another cautiously optimistic one, (laughs) even though I think they've already said they're not talking about most of the things that I would find to be intriguing. But, you know, maybe they'll have something cool. Then on Monday, we're going to have Ubisoft at four and Square Enix at nine. And on Tuesday, we've got Nintendo Direct at noon. And like we said, it's uh, it's Nintendo's own thing, but uh, is still going to be on Tuesday. And then there is uh, PC gaming is at 1 p.m. Eastern. So uh, really, I think Sunday is kind of the the big one, but uh, yeah, that's all of your timings. And like I said, we are going to be doing a recap of these events on uh, next Thursday. So uh, do join us on uh, twitch.tv slash the gamers in at 830 p.m. Eastern on Thursday. That's when we're going to be covering this. So now don't go anywhere because I know normally I say that kind of stuff at the end of the show, but. <laughs> Don't go anywhere because we are going to cover Days Gone. So unless you don't want spoilers, if you don't want spoilers, then feel free to join us on Thursday for all our E3 coverage. But now we are talking Days Gone. So my initial impressions of Days Gone, I feel like were accurate. I really, really liked this game. Until... (laughs) (laughs) And I, I mean, this will be interesting because uh, I all I also very much liked when we were talking about the game early on. Like I, it, it was ge- it was gelling with my I didn't know what to expect, and I really liked it. And I'm glad you really liked it. And then I hit a point in the game where I was like, "Ooh, Jesslyn is not gonna like this." 
Yeah, yeah, I sure didn't. So I've got to say, I have kind of, uh, I think, two pet peeves when mm-hmm. it comes to Days Gone. And so they're they're kind of later on in the game pet peeves, although one happens about a third of the way through. So I guess I'll talk about that one first. There's, I don't even want to call it an interesting mechanic because I'm pretty sure it's just... Um, like performance based so that the system doesn't have to try to load two massive maps at once. But basically the world of days gone is split into the North and the South. Mm -hmm. And for the first part of the game, there are three camps that you explore in the Northern area of the map. And then at a certain point in the game, which turns out to be uh, maybe, maybe halfway, maybe, maybe a third is, is um, being too stingy it's probably about halfway through yeah but halfway through in a game that you know i think i ended up god i don't even know i ended up playing 120 in world days so i don't know exactly how many hours that is but um it was a lot (laughs) and so I think it's probably a good like 15 or 20 hours worth of gameplay that you've got in that first area. Mm-hmm. And that so it feels like a, a big chunk of an experience. You know, like if the game had ended there, I would have been like, yeah, okay. You know, I left a lot of bandit camps not done. I left a lot of hordes not killed. And, you know, but just main story, 15 to 20 hours, that's good. That's fine. And the reason that I bring it up there is because at that point in the story you talk to the head of one of the camps who basically says, okay, yeah, I'll show you the way south, but don't ever come back. And you get the warning message that says, like, if you talk to Boozer, you're going to lock yourself out of the northern portion of the map, which is traditionally something that happens before the final mission. Mm, Yeah. Uh, like correct me if I'm wrong, but like that sounds that's very final missiony, right? Yeah, no, it's it's a very common open world trope where they it's called you know the point of no return. And if you yes. Google game name point of no return, someone provides a spoiler free answer that says, "Hey, when you start this mission, where someone says blah de blah, you're not going to be able to access X through Z that may or may not help you in your final mission." Whereas with this, it's it's just a sil- a, a simple prompt that says, "Hey." You're going to be locked out of the northern sector, as you said, and and that really but doesn't it doesn't give you any context to that at all. No, and I mean, you know, you know, it doesn't want to spoil what you're about to do, but it kind of does in the sense, of like, well, what am I about to do that's going to like lock me out of the? Oh, okay, yeah, I see it. You know, um, although well, it's the... not even so much like story spoilers; it's just that, like, just the idea of partway through a game. Then being unable, because what what I was expecting was a final mission that I could then go complete and then go back and do my 100% completionist stuff, right? So I was expecting, I like, I looked at my stuff and I'm like, okay, I have a decent number of consumables. I'm happy with my loadout. Like, let's go see what's going to happen. And up to that point, there hadn't been anything I couldn't handle. So I felt decently prepared for whatever was going to happen what i was not prepared for was a southern area to open up with two more camps and no access to the north for another like 15 to 20 hours of gameplay Mm -hmm. it was such a weird decision and like i say it 
quote unquote made sense from for story reasons but for like gameplay mechanics wise it i didn't like it at all yeah it's where you're putting the story ahead of the player's open world experience and then i think in the story like if you had just traveled back up there you could wait hand wave it away and be like no no it doesn't matter you're up here this is like you experiencing the north in a previous you know time period as opposed to you being up there you know you could explain it away no problem and and honestly if you, you just want to even say like um because like i said there are these camps and you're a drifter so you are traveling between these camps you're as they put it out in the shit like they make it very clear that the drifters are the ones who go out and brave the wilderness because it's full of wild animals. There are bears and wolves and cougars that will knock you the hell off your bike. There are a uh, probably seven different kinds of zombies that will also chase you down and knock you off your bike. Like it mm-hmm. out between the camps is a dangerous place. People other than drifters don't go there. And in general, the ones that you find, the people you find out on the road, attempt to kill you they are not any kind of allies of any of the camps they have their own camp set up and they are marauders or whatever anarchists but anyways they are not your allies they are not allies of people in the camp so story-wise you could even say okay uh the head of camp c has decided that i no longer am allowed to go to that camp okay fine lock down that area for me so that I can no longer go into that camp. I can't go to those merchants or whatever. Like, for the story reasons, dude who runs that camp doesn't like me and doesn't want to see my face again. Still let me, like I say, because my problem with that point in the story was I didn't realize how, as much as I had been trying to complete missions, like, as they popped up, like I said, I was doing a lot of side stuff, I was clearing out a lot of um, infestation nests and a lot of uh, marauder camps, but I still felt very low level once I got into the new zone. I felt like I didn't have a lot of skills, and, and they were introducing me to a lot of new enemies that were a lot harder, and I was kind of like, oh man, I wish I had, you know, completed these other three or four quests that I had in my inventory sort of thing that, yeah, were just, you know, go kill this marauder camp, go on this bounty hunt, but would have leveled me up a couple more times. And then maybe I would have been a little bit stronger. I would have had more skills and, you know, like I could have made a better go of it. So like my time moving from the north to the to the south was a little bit rough because again I thought there was one more mission and then I would just have the run of the open world. Yeah, no you're right. And and even if you didn't have you know just that one more mission, you felt like maybe a better design would have been like you 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 didn't get to return until you finished that mission, which is the normal expected design mm-hmm. of a point of no return where you finish the mission and then you are free to return. And the funny thing is like at the end of the game, when everything is now open to you to explore, you can explore the whole map. It's seamless. Like, you can transport from really? one time. Yeah, yeah, it is. Oh, man. You know, so... Um, That's even more frustrating because I assumed, like, where I said off the top um, when we first started talking about Days Gone that I'm playing on a PlayStation 4 and not mm-hmm. a Pro. And I definitely noticed very, very slow load screens, uh, constant load screens, some chugging when I'm driving on the bike, some mm-hmm. late loading signs and textures and stuff. I did see some people posting about like riding down an empty road that then all of a sudden had a horde there. Mm-hmm. That never happened to me. 
but um, I did have some late loading stuff as I was traveling on the bike and, and the system did chug and some textures were missing, stuff like that. So like there were some performance issues on the PlayStation 4. So I assumed that was why. But if they remove those uh, artificial barriers, then afterwards when you're allowed to just free and, and I should also say, guys, I did not finish the game. I Googled the ending because I got so frustrated. Hmm. Um, but uh, but yeah, so the fact that they can remove those barriers when you have like free play sandbox mode, mop up everything you haven't done yet sort of thing after you finish the main story is a little bit like it's even more frustrating for me then because I mean, you know, <laughs> fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me or however that goes. But it happens again. So mm -hmm. you go south and you complete a whole bunch of stuff for the two camps that you find in the south and as you progress the story, it does the same thing again. Now, keep in mind, this is another 15 or so hours later. So I assumed the second time that I got the message saying, if you do this, you will lock yourself out of this camp. I was like, okay, uh, this is the mission where, and we're going to go full on story spoilers here, guys. That was your chance to go away if you don't want to get spoiled. So uh, that's the point where you have this grand plan with O'Brien, who's the Nero guy with the helicopter, to essentially break out your wife, who is not dead, from this crazy um, Holy War colonel guy yeah. and his camp. So I assumed that it was like, you're going to get locked out of Wizard, Wizard Island or Wizard Lake or whatever it is. Um, I assumed I was going to get locked out of that camp because it was the end of the story and all I had to do was fight my way out or sneak my way out of the militia, get on the helicopter, and then da -da -da -da, you escape with your wife and all is happy. Da -da. So again, I assumed that would be the end of the story. So I said, okay, yeah, sure, that sounds fine. Go ahead let's i i need to get this done so we can record gamers in so let's go let's do this final mission boom it was not the final mission i got locked out of the south half of the zone got sent back up to the north again and couldn't go down and access the southern area at all for another i don't even know how long of gameplay it was supposed to be but i played for another three nights mm -hmm. and when i say nights i'm talking like jocelyn nights i'm not talking like normal people nights i'm talking <laughs> like i start playing at about nine o'clock and i play until about 5 a.m oh my gosh. so yeah no it's they are good eight hour sessions like ryan you don't understand how hard i tried to finish this game i i understand like i i think <laughs> i think i understand because i was your moral support from eight to five you know like <laughs> I, I, I did the day shift uh, and, yeah. and whoever there was around were day the night. and night shifts. Yeah, no. At night, it was just me trying not to scream in frustration as my husband and roommate slept. Well, okay. Here's the thing. Um, before we get into that, I want to, since we did touch on that mission and the way, so the game obviously puts story first and gameplay second and design second in terms of how they structure the flow of where the player goes. And right. yeah, the story makes sense. Like, oh, you're locked out of the, in the first, in the second section, you're locked out of the North, not because the North doesn't want to see you, but because the South is keeping this very close lock on anybody within their militia. So it's this very organized militia group. And, you know, you get, you know, get, you get recruited as a colonel because you're trying to learn more about where your wife is. You find your wife is 
is there. You mean corporal? You don't get recruited as the colonel. The colonel's the oh, head. No, did the I say, yeah. The, you said colonel. The corporal's the bottom. Yeah, he, you're he's a corporal. He's a corporal. So he's a <laughs> yeah. corporal, not the colonel. There is a colonel, and yes. he's uh, he's fried chicken, basically. But, um, yeah, so, and that's, I think, again, story makes sense. And even they kind of, but they go about explaining it away for one of the missions that sends you up north and then back again. So there's one mission where you actually do get sent to the north when you're locked out, but they send you, they keep you right back. They, they bring yeah. you right back. But there is it's that. It's a very specific area. It's like an instanced area yeah. that you can't explore beyond. But they do a hand wavy. They say like, oh, you know, I'm traveling with, you know, uh, what's her beak? What's her name? Is it Sarah? Sarah, Sarah Whitaker, yeah. L- Lieutenant Whitaker. So she's a, or captain, I don't know, not the colonel. And she basically like <laughs> hand waves and said, no, no, we're, we're on official business. Like, leave us alone. So yeah. they do that in service of story, but not in service of gameplay. And I can see where that could be extremely frustrating if you're not playing like me, who is like wanting to do everything I could because I was enjoying the game and I was enjoying the, pro- I get really into the progression of, of skills and uh camp uh mechanics like you know getting more parts for my bike and getting new weapons and just spending credits strategically and you know taking things off the map yeah that sort see of and i think you were probably paying a lot more attention than i was because mm-hmm. what happened to me was i was playing through and so as you do these jobs for these camps your reputation with them grows and it unlocks more things in the store fine and dandy when I went to look at the guns specifically in the store, what I was looking at was the like comparison to what I was currently carrying. And they do what every single game has ever done when there is any kind of loadout comparison where it's like it shows you a green bar if it's higher than what you currently have. It's a white bar if it's the same. And then it is a red bar if it is lower. And... So that's the portion that I was looking at to compare all my stuff. I didn't realize until I'd been kicked out of the South because Matt came to sit sit down with me because I was paying so much attention to these bars. And he's like, oh, well, you should use that gun instead. And I was like, why? And he's like, oh, well, the the magazine is bigger. And I was Mm -hmm. like, well, how do you know? He's like, oh, it's those little tiny numbers underneath all of those bars. It's showing you what your magazine size is. And I was like, damn it. (laughs) (laughs) So... There was a gun that was available to you in the south that had a lower uh, rate of fire, a lower stopping power, and lower damage slightly than the gun that I was currently using. But I hadn't realized the magazine size. My magazine on the gun I was using was 45. The magazine on the gun you could buy in the south was 325, which meant you could carry three. 125 bullets for a very very small sacrifice in damage and rate of fire and i was just like and literally every single because i had to look for so many tutorials you guys so many tutorials um every single one every video that i found every tutorial that i found every list of weapons in the game put that gun as a must-have when you're going up against hordes and that's my second pet peeve is that not only was there a gun that was designed like that, that was basically a must have, but then like you get locked out of the vendor to go get it. Mm-hmm. So again, I thought I was doing a final mission. There was nothing about the the stuff going up to that, that made me think I'd be facing a horde. I hadn't realized that gun was available in the store. And then I got locked out of it completely. So then you have to go and do two more horde missions, which are very, very difficult. 
and I didn't have essentially the equipment that I needed to do it. And I also didn't have the skills to do it because they, like I said, there are horde missions, which are basically um, you have to go and kill a horde in order to advance the story. There are three in a row right at the end. There's a little bit of combat that happens after the after the third horde. But the third horde is essentially like the end boss of the game because the actual end boss isn't really that difficult compared to 500 zombies. The, the horde and you think is... that I'm doing the normal Jocelyn thing where I exaggerate, but no, seriously, guys, the horde is 500 zombies. Uh, yeah. Like, it's insane. Did you notice, uh, you might not have remembered this, but I, I being, a, being a fan of the game since its announcement, that final horde, funny enough, is what was featured in the original reveal at E3, I think, yes. three years ago. Because it was the sawmill, yeah. right? And it is the sawmill, yeah. Y- you can directly r- replicate that, um, and you maybe did. I know I did when I was doing it because I died a lot. You can replicate them following you around and then getting cornered, <laughs> <laughs> you know, in one of the top areas. And and you know the thing is, I when I first came across the first horde, um, which was in the southern camp, the difference is is like the hordes s- scattered around. The way they treat them, the game teaches you how to avoid them. And, exactly. You know, and that's what you were saying to me when we first talked about this is like, oh, I tried to go in there and get this Nero beacon, but it, there was a horde in there. It's like, well, go during the night and they're out hunting and you can just go in and get it and walk away. And that's right there. The game is constantly teaching you how to track and avoid hordes. And the and I get it. They eventually they want you to take out hordes and they do, you know, they go down they go down that route, but by the time they arrive there, it's almost like this non-mentioned thing. Like people don't take out hordes, and the only reason you go taking out hordes is because they've developed a specific weapon, which is just a souped-up Molotov. It really doesn't yeah. do anything. It doesn't do crazy. anything. Yeah, exactly. You know, there's nothing really to write home about, but everyone's like losing their shit because you can, you have a stronger, you know, Molotov, and it, that first mission is just so far in the game where it's like, whoa, this is a complete shift like i thought the hordes were optional uh i thought because they're supposed to be almost unkillable yeah and the other thing is too the ones roaming around in the world even aren't anywhere near the size of the three that you have to kill so the first one that you have to kill is around 300 the second one's around 400 and the third one is around 500 zombies that you have to kill and for me I had been playing the game in a very melee-heavy stealth way. So I maxed out my melee tree, and this is why I had to play the game so much, is because I essentially, like, not only did I did I pick the wrong weapons and lock myself out of that par- portion of the map, but I had also maxed out all my melee skills, because that's how I like to play, is I liked to sneak around for the most part, get stealth kills on the super big zombie guys and you know if i got into trouble usually i was able to you know take people down in one to two hits with my like super mega awesome superior mace and then you know i had the ability to repair my melee weapons with scraps so i had like the best melee weapon in the game for the whole game almost and that was my preferred style is i was very slow very methodical didn't get myself into bad situations. And then all of a sudden the game is like, 
in order to progress, you need to, and this is also why I wasn't paying very much attention to like weapons because I, I don't know if you guys have ever watched me stream. I, in video games, am a terrible shot. I can't hit anything ever at all. I cannot shoot ranged weapons in video games, period. I'm bad at it. So I try to avoid it at all costs. And I was like, I'm having so much fun in this game because I feel like it's allowing me to play to my strengths as a gamer. It's telling me to avoid things if I'm not ready. And there's no reason for me to have to do those things. So I can just play the way that I want to play. And because these enemies are fast and swarmy, it means that they're, it felt like there was like a real danger. And I had to be much like Horizon Zero Dawn, very strategic about my engagements. And I needed to know what else was around and everything else. Cause there were times where like I'd go after what I thought was like two or three zombies. And then all of a sudden, like a wolf pack would come out of nowhere. And I'm like, Oh my God. Okay. So now I've got, you know, two to three zombies to deal with who were smacking me in the face, wolves who were running around and jumping at me. And then because of all this commotion, now I'm attracting more zombies. And it's like these combat engagements were sometimes very challenging because you were trying to be quiet and not draw attention to yourself because there was so much fast danger in the world. So like it was a really, really cool game until it basically slapped me in the face and said, nope, spoiler alert, you were playing wrong this whole time. So then I had to spend a whole bunch of time. I mean, by the end, I ended up just trying to literally hunt down zombies in the wild. I was sleeping through daytime and only going out in the nighttime so that there would be more enemies for me to kill, trying to get XP so that I could get enough XP to get range skills. And I was like, this sucks. <laughs> so like, not only do I not have any range skills and have to try to level myself up like 15 times to unlock everything I'm going to need, but then also I don't have the weapons that I need to, you know, attempt to do this with my super, super terrible shooting skills. Like, oh, God, Ryan, it was so brutal. It was so bad. Yeah. For a game that I loved so much originally. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I, this might not be the best time to mention it, but I, I actually platinum the game. I, and it's not a hard thing to do. Uh, obviously, you do have to fight those three hordes to finish the game. That's critical t for that. But I actually right. found it quite fun to go back. I had to kill a bunch of hordes. Obviously, I did it in the northern sector where they are much, much smaller. And honestly, I got Yeah, to and a... that's the other thing that I did, too, is I went around and took out some of these smaller hordes mm. because I thought, okay, I'm going to try some practice. Mm -hmm. But even then, if you go after them in the daytime, they don't necessarily all follow you out of the cave they're all in caves so they're very easy to funnel through your traps and stuff it's not this big open sawmill world so it very much like even those like practice areas like practice hordes weren't giving me that much practice that i kind of found out once i actually got to the sawmill mm -hmm. um and then on top of that, I found I was like using all my materials. So that's the other thing about the northern part of the map is compared to the southern part of the map, pretty much every kitchen that you go into and every park bench you walk by is going to have a growler on it. You need the growlers, which are the, the larger beer bottles mm -hmm. in order to craft these larger, more effective Molotov cocktails, which can take out uh, probably I'd say about seven and a half to 10% of the horde if you get them all clumped up 
and uh, get a really good shot with the Molotov, right? Yeah, you would basically... You can chunk down the horde with these Molotovs. Yeah, and and the napalm actually sticks around, so it actually, if you have a good sort of placement, you can kind of, like, pinch them in to kind of follow up with a couple of... So basically what I would do is I would throw the attractor, and that would Mm -hmm. bring... That would clump them up, then throw the napalm, and get them all good and soaked in it, and then once the fire started to die down, your XP started to pop up, then you throw a couple grenades in to kind of like break up the clumps a bit. And that seemed to take, I sometimes I would find, at least the smaller hordes, once uh, once in a while I would take out the whole horde because they're much smaller. And then mm-hmm. other times I would find I'd take at least half with that. And the grenades, and again, this goes back to the locking out mechanic, but the grenades were very easy to come by because once you got rep three with some of the lower camps, you know, lower on the map, you could basically buy frag grenades and yeah. they were very powerful. And I always had enough to build attractors. I was never really using them outside of killing hordes, but uh, yeah, I, I think there was very clearly two or three skills you needed on, on the tech tree for mm-hmm. shooting to be able to take out hordes. And those included well, and not even, uh, not even just the tech tree. That's mm. the next point is that there, so there's a tech tree that you get just from straight up leveling up that has three different branches you can go down, the melee path, the ranged path, and the survival path. This is the other thing. I didn't do a lot of survival things either. Later on in the survival path, you can more than double your carrying capacity. So you go from being able to carry two of the napalm molotovs to being able to carry six. And I didn't have that skill. Hmm. So... I was trying to do this with only two and with very few carried materials. So I guess, yeah, you'd like triple the amount of carrying space that you have for, for all these things. And I was just like, oh, my God, yeah. this is just like, oh, well, I was thinking- not the way that I was playing. But then the other part of your progression and leveling up is the thing that made me laugh when you and I were taught, like laugh out of just pure like of course it's that way yeah um is because uh you also get these what's called nero injectors so nero is the like government agency i guess who is uh still active and this is what i was saying in our earlier talk about days gone like no real big spoilers at that time I found it very interesting and I, and I always find it very interesting when there is an apocalyptic event that doesn't actually take out the government. Like when there is still some sort of semblance of government and they're trying to fix it and trying to do what's right for the most amount of people and save the most amount of people. I find that so compelling. So the idea of having Nero, this government agency that was uh, the National Emergency Response Organization or whatever, trying to figure out what happened, I thought that was a super cool story beat. So they have camps spread out all over the map that eventually got overrun, but they have these injectors that allow you to increase your health your stamina or your focus and because i wasn't playing as a ranged character i was playing melee i boosted my health all the way up first followed by my stamina so by the time i was fighting my first horde i had literally no points in focus none zero and ryan's like oh yeah you just have to like max out your focus i was like god damn it okay (laughs) i mean i don't sound exactly like that but no uh, no sorry (laughs) Focus is focus is definitely important, and because that allows you to basically slow down time and kind of take more strategic shots. Uh, but also, there's 
there's a requirement to have a couple skills that specifically align with taking out Horde, and one of those is basically to have your bullets, you know, penetrate multiple uh, targets. So yeah. when you're when you're doing your sort of head high spread with your gun, you're taking out maybe one or two zombies instead of just one or none. And mm-hmm. there's some stopping power ones while you're focused. There's some um, there's some other ones that make your headshots more you know um, critical that sort of thing. So yeah, like essentially at the end of the game, the game's just assuming that you've either gotten enough skills that you've played the way you wanted to, but then also dumped a bunch into maybe the weapons uh, side of yeah, things. You just had nothing left to spend it on in in the tree that you wanted them. Yeah, it's just there's a wide range of things that the game doesn't prepare you for, and really it, it just comes right down to the fact like if you don't if you don't if you're not comfortable or able to take out a horde, you can't beat this game. And yeah. I struggled that last one at the sawmill. Um, if you don't come, with, basically what I did is I had to kind of like do a merry-go-round. And I had a track where I just kept running around the mission area, which is like super unrealistic because you'd, you'd basically die of exhaustion. Uh, and then I'd get far enough away from the horde where if I ran out of ammo, I'd go to my bike that's placed up on the on the road and I'd hopefully have enough time to get enough ammo out of the saddlebag, which was something you could upgrade as well. Mm-hmm. And that allowed me to eventually finish off that mission. And that is by far the hardest zombie encounter I've had in any video game. And I think that's saying something because most of the time with, with zombie video games, you kind of feel a little OP by the end. And the fact mm-hmm. that at the end of this game, they've kept the zombies a formidable foe. And that was one of the things I liked about this game is I was kind of hoping, and they and they kind of do, um, I was kind of hoping that the conflict would be straight up just humanity surviving against zombies. And of course, there's going to be a couple of like, you know, marauders and the rippers and the way you deal with the rippers is kind of like, you basically pull the plug on them. <laughs> and, um <laughs> But, like, I kind of like that. Like, the, I thought the hordes were the bad guys. The zombies were the bad guys. And, again, we'll get to it a bit. It, it kind of turns out they are. But I was a little bit like, oh, we're going with crazy white guys waging a holy war. All right. I guess that's, like, kind of not incredibly overdone. But, you know, humans going crazy in the zombie apocalypse and that's your main baddie. I was a little bummed because that's been done yeah. a lot. Yeah, I felt the same because, like, I feel like for a while, um, in just the horror genre in general, originally it was like the monsters were the scary things. Like, oh my god, there's vampires. Oh my god, there's werewolves. Oh my god, there's zombies. We're all gonna die. And then there was like this period, and I'm only gonna say this because this is how I became familiarized with the concept but i'm sure that there were people who predated him but spoiler i'm an 80s baby so this is the person who brought it to my attention but i feel like stephen king did a lot of writing around the idea of like the end of the world or you know some sort of horrible thing happening and you know people having to deal with it but then like the real horror isn't the monster the real horror is what people turn into when they're put in even moderately stressful situations that made for a lot of compelling horror but now you're right ryan 
it very much is the only way that horror is written. Horror is no longer necessarily about the bad guy monster. It's what people do to each other. I mean, Walking Dead is a perfect example of that. Like, the zombies haven't been scary in Walking Dead for six seasons or more. (laughs) Like, (laughs) so... I think I agree with you that I I did I do like that that the hordes were hard. I don't want I didn't want the hordes to be a pushover. That being said, I think it was poor game design sticking all three horde missions back to back at the end without much guidance into how to kill them before that because it derailed my gameplay. I had been moving at a pretty decent pace through the story. I'd been really enjoying my ride. I'd been doing a lot of the side missions and stuff, playing the way that I wanted to play, and then all of a sudden had to slam on the brakes, had to try to find every possible Nero spot that I could to try to get my focus up. I had to level up. Like I said, I had to go up probably about 15 levels in order to unlock the skills that the game had assumed that I would have chosen so that I could actually go up against these hordes and all of that. And then, then I had to go around and because I got locked out of the Southern area of the map before finally preparing myself or preparing myself well enough is I had to scour for three full 24 hour cycles of in-game time, which ended up being about two and a half to three hours, every single house, every single room of every single house to find growlers to, cause I wanted to have enough materials to basically like have one round of stuff like attractors, proximity bombs, uh, growlers, uh, napalm bombs, all that stuff. Hmm. And then enough materials to craft another full inventory full of that to try to beat this final horde. So it just like, it just put the brakes on. It was like, you cannot do this now, Jocelyn. This is not going to happen. Well, even the, <laughs> so. the final, the final, final mission that you didn't get to play um, was so simple. It was yeah. very, very easy. Basically storm, storm the keep. You take out the bad guys and, you know, it, it just, it is what it is. And the game ends in a way where you are the reluctant leader and you don't you never wanted to be but you give a good speech anyways you know and you kiss the girl so i mean it's got it's got a lot of those like tropes super tropey it's super tropey in the end which is too bad because it wasn't off the start it was i think it started to go a little bit downhill for me when it opened up those uh those two southern camps and you get introduced to the colonel who is the big bad guy in the end and you know, there was even some potential for some interesting, and I think there was a little bit of interesting character development. I liked where they ended up with, uh, is it Corey? Corey? Yeah, uh, yeah, Corey. Corey, yeah. He um, he has a really interesting, like, character arc, I think. And there's some intrigue because when you go into the southern area, he's the first commander guy you come into contact with, and he's wearing your ring, which mm. means at some point, he's come across your wife. And at that point in the story, you're still looking for your wife and you're trying to figure all that stuff out. And so that portion of the story was interesting and compelling because even after they reveal that your wife is still alive and you start doing runs for her and stuff, you don't actually figure out the full story of the ring for quite some time. They Mm. let you wonder about that for a while. And I thought that was, it was good pacing and good writing to be like, okay, 
did he take it from her? Did she give it to him? If she gave it to him, was it payment for something or were they together? Like there's so many potential ways and you know you're kind of running down all of those possible storylines in your head like deacon is mm -hmm. and i thought that that was really well done but then yeah like i say they slam the brakes on with making you kill hordes and then i i just i really wish that there had been some way to complete that final horde mission in a way that wasn't just kite the horde around and kill them because what ended up happening to me so i had an attempt where i got them down to about somewhere between 25 and 30 percent there's just a a red bar at the top of your screen so it's a there's no like numbers shown to you at all um and so i got down to about 25 ish to 30 percent of the horde left i still had a decent amount of materials i hadn't had to go back to my bike yet to refill my ammo but i got caught up on a log and swarmed by the last, you know, hundred or so zombies and couldn't get away and died. And I was just like, I can't, I tried two or three more times after that and couldn't get anywhere near that level of completion. And I was just like, all right, I'm done. I'm YouTubing this, <laughs> which is unfortunate. Cause I, like I, I had been really enjoying, like I said, the some of the story beats were really good and, and were really well-written. And I was glad that I got that far, but man, yeah, um, yeah, it, it's really odd that they kind of throw that in. But I mean, if we're ready to, you know, kind of wrap this up, I wanted to talk yeah. about sort of the end end where as you you finish the game and it kind of goes into this epilogue sort of um, progress where uh, th missions start to proc and they come up and then there's this mission to O'Brien's calling you. He's kind of erratic and you're, you're, you're kind of surprised to hear from him. Anyways, you meet O'Brien. O'Brien's been the neuro guy that you've been in contact with, and and there's something up. So he steps off a helicopter. He's very like he refuses to he refuses to tell you what's going on over the radio. He mm -hmm. he makes you go out and meet him. Yeah, exactly. And he ends up kind of like talking about you know we said the zombies were evolving, the virus was evolving, and he takes off his helmet, which he hasn't done. None of the neuroscientists have taken their helmet off. He takes his helmet off. And, he's clearly... and they're also unkillable, which is yes. another point. Uh, whenever you interact with Nero, whenever you uh, go on missions for or with O'Brien, you have to remain hidden because mm -hmm. you cannot kill the Nero scientists. Yeah. They're too geared out. They're too everything. They will instantly kill you if they see you. They make it very clear from a not, not even from a gameplay perspective, but from a setup perspective that like you don't even want to bother. And yeah. I don't know about you, but I, I again, I didn't even bother. I just like... And even when you... You just did what you were told. <laughs> I did what I was told. I was a good little gamer. Um, yep. <laughs> and, uh, you know. <laughs> but uh, anyways, he... I got seen once and it's just yeah. super insta-dead. They just walk up to you and then just butter the gun right to your face yeah. and you're dead. <laughs> Fade to black and re yeah. <laughs> restart from checkpoint. Uh, it, it was interesting because at the end, I, I kind of got what I wanted. Because, you know, Nero... Uh, O'Brien takes his helmet off and he's infected. And someone implying that, that the higher-ups were planning this all. Like, something about the higher-ups planning this all along. They're coming for you. I'm giving you a warning. So just prepare because they're they're coming. Yeah, and okay, so this is, this is what I didn't really quite understand. Because, I mean, you saw it coming from miles away that all of this was Deacon's wife's fault. That, yeah, you know, I get, because I, yeah. she she was talking about how she was working for this like pharma company and she had signed an agreement saying that 
her work would never be used as a bioweapon, and that's told to you, like, right at the very start. But then one of the first or second Nero missions that you eavesdrop on, they talk about how this was a designer virus and how it's, like, uh, it was done on purpose and blah, 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 and you're just like, okay, so... Clearly, clearly, this is all Sarah's fault, <laughs> mm. or, or at least she's part of it. And it's and the or at way least she's a part of it. Yeah, her yeah. research, like she may not have been the one to unleash it. She may not have known even what she had or what she had done. Which is really how it ends up playing out. Is they go back to the lab and she has this realization moment that yeah. you know she was pretty sure that the research she had been doing had ended up causing this, but she didn't realize how directly it was and basically an intern or something like stole a vial of her research, got mm. infected, spread it to a conference that he had gone to, and then it spread all over the world as those people from the conference went home, which, you know, makes perfect sense and is now in this day and age probably how some sort of killer virus with a, you know, short incubation time would kill people and spread all across the world so yeah. it, it made perfect sense to me it's, but, uh, um, it's the planet of the apes uh, yeah. syndrome <laughs> but so that that kind of made sense to me but then what doesn't make sense to me is when O'Brien so O'Brien is a zombie except he, yeah. he's mutated or evolved to the point that he didn't go all feral well he, yeah so I mean, obviously, they don't give us a lot of details. He basically says, like, the the heads of Nero, he said the reason, the, I, I, he found out the reason his higher-ups were being so secretive is because they've been working with the, I assume they've been working with the virus to make themselves superhuman. And O'Brien's infected as well. We don't know if he was infected the whole time. We don't know if he was like this the whole time. We're just... I assumed that he that this had just happened to him and he was mm. like shit I better warn Deacon um because he's not antagonistic until he he freaking raptor jumps back into the helicopter that was a bit much yeah uh, <laughs> but it it sets up a sequel that kind of portrays what I was hoping for which was the zombies being the threat you know mm. and and it's now they're this like like smart zombies i know smart and this is the thing no one's ever done smart zombies well uh i zombie does smart zombies pretty damn well okay never mind you you corrected <laughs> me pretty quickly there i guess it's you're right i'm watching that show right no. now and it's in its final season and it's such a so bad i'm so sad that it's in its final season because right. i think that show is so good <laughs> you you are completely right i i take it back so yeah there 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 has been smart zombies done well but in the context of this video game where the smart zombies are basically a government organization with helicopters and stuff but it'll be interesting to see like they're basically setting up a faction of these zombies and i realize in i zombie there are bad smart zombies too so it'll be interesting if obviously this will get a sequel it's sold very well even though it was kind of like eh, critically not critically panned but it was like an average reviewable game um which I still think is because of who made it. I think if this was a Microsoft title, it would have been uh, much better received, personally. Yeah. I, I just think, I thought the ending was like, okay, that's a really cool twist on top of everything else because it puts the focus back on the zombies. And I really did like the Nero stuff. A lot of people poo-pooed yeah. it, but I really liked it. I thought it was really neat, like you said, to see government still around. 
I don't know why people like and I and I didn't read a whole lot of, of reviews. I wanted to kind of experience Days Gone for myself and and see how, you know, I would like it as a player as opposed to going off of a whole bunch of, of reviews, because I think I said this off the start of our first review of Days Gone as well, is that I feel like a lot of people are just angry on the internet right now for the sake of being angry on the internet and I don't I, I basically take everything I read with a grain of salt in terms of reviews because I think people are really overly critical now and can't have fun. And this game was fun. This game, and I think, um, again, the reason I stopped liking this game and the reason why I ended up YouTubing the ending probably has just as much to do with the fact that you're listening to my voice right now and that I'm doing a podcast and that I couldn't just go about it at my, on my own time. Like if I, if I was able to just sit back, relax and, and play full completionist mode and I would have bought all the guns and I wouldn't have felt compelled to leave areas or anything like that. And, but I very much thought I was at the end more than once. And I was like, Oh, I just need to finish this so that I can review it properly. And if I if I wasn't in that mindset, I think I would still like this game because I'd probably still be playing this game and I probably mm -hmm. wouldn't have, you know, like pushed through areas and missed things. And, you know, I would have probably leveled myself up to max before I even got near the final mission. So, I mean, I do understand that, like, being a podcaster probably pushes me into areas that make me not like games. And that's not necessarily the fault of the game. Mm -hmm. But... uh I think it's a good game. At its core, its gameplay loop is really, really fun. Like I said, the the world around you is dangerous, which is something, especially in video games, with skill trees and with progression. Sometimes, like Ryan, you mentioned being godlike by the end. That's something I think that, that video games can really struggle with, is the proper pacing of character strength to the point that it feels meaningful without making the world around you trivial. And Days Gone did a really, really good job of that. Um, I just wish that there had been some portions that were a little bit more guided or, you know, like, I don't know. I think that they're just, even if there was a way to strategically deal with the final horde. So, like you said, they're in a sawmill. So why couldn't I plant napalm bombs around the bottom of the sawmill and blow it all to hell? And, like, make that a super difficult, like, put screamers down there, make it a super difficult stealth mission, but give me, like, a stealth option, I guess, to take out that final horde. And that would have made me a lot happier. <laughs> yeah. But it just felt like it was, like, telling me to play my way up until it really mattered to finish the story, and then I couldn't. And that was... That was a bummer, man. That was a bummer. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I felt but the fun same thing. fun gameplay loop. Really fun gameplay loop, though. Yeah. And I, I even mean... Taking out the, even taking out the smaller hordes, I, I... Because, again, I could be super strategic about it, you know? I could do it in the daytime, and I could, you know, funnel them out of one, one tunnel. But there was just that final map design. Maybe that's what it was. The final map design didn't have enough funnel portions <laughs> the yeah. second to last horde had that super sweet fence i could just keep jumping across <laughs> <laughs> yeah there was a lot about those final hordes that was just a little it's like they needed they needed to put something in your path and and the thing they put in your path were hordes and it just kept yeah. happening and i was like okay guys 
You know, oh, and the, even the characters like <laughs> I get calling it, there's you hordes. On. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the characters like, wait, isn't that where that giant horde was that we last saw earlier in the game? Yup. And you're gonna take them out? Yup. It's like, well, great. Okay. Even the characters are calling you on this bullshit. Like, <laughs> like you know, find a better way to yeah. figure it out. And he says, no, it's the only way, and I have to do it by myself because that's the way yeah. the game. <laughs> Just yeah. Otherwise, we'll pull them down on top of each other. I was like, come on, Deacon. C- come on. And then at the end, they storm an island. <laughs> so, like, yeah. w- with an army. So they figure out a way to fight people. They f- they, they take on a militia head-on. Well, well yeah. kind of. Like, they build a giant bomb to, like, distract people. But they still, like, send a bunch of people in the yeah. back way. And it's still a lot of people against a lot of other people with machine guns. So it's like... I mean... It just felt like they couldn't they couldn't figure a way to wrap it up. And I thought they were heading towards like this idea of, oh, like blowing up the bridge to stop the hordes from coming in from San Francisco. And they just dropped that one like a hot potato. Yeah. They never revisited it. And I thought that was the most interesting thing. Like, oh, the game's going to end with us trying to, you know, stop the hordes from coming in. And that would have been really a really neat move. But um, yeah. But yeah. they, they really did derail because you're right. They talk so much about like Highway 97 to the point that I know that there's a Highway 97 on the West Coast. Like <laughs> they just they talk so much about uh, like the population of California and how they're they're heading north and, you know, everything else and how so many people live on the coast and they're all going to be coming into Oregon. And this is so terrible and terrifying. And they just kind of drop it like like ah i wish i thought that's where the hordes were gonna be i thought that we were gonna have to go deal with the highway in some way shape or form but uh that never really materialized unfortunately but maybe that's something that they're saving for for days gone too and so are you looking forward to a sequel do you think that um they should i mean pretty much every new ip is going to set up for a sequel i mean horizon did it as well and it's just like sequels have become so lucrative (laughs) across all types of media right now that it would be kind of silly not to but at the same time do you think days gone deserves a sequel is it something that you will pick up were you overall satisfied with the game and want to see more of the universe i I would love to see more um i think that what they've the the loop that they've set up with the motorcycles and the hordes and the the camps and stuff i would love to see that done again on new hardware please uh <laughs> i i think that they've well, got yeah, a... obviously if we're if we're getting a sequel to days gone then it's going to be on the ps5 like, yeah i think yeah. <laughs> i think they have a grand vision for zombie games and usually right now zombie games are relegated to like resident evil or smaller sort of indie medium type you know studios and i think that this one's a triple a zombie game and they are so few and far between and i i really liked it i platinumed it i platinumed it for a reason because i really wanted to keep playing and uh yeah i dug you know taking out hordes it felt really satisfying to to take them out but not not the mission ones those were that felt very Dark Soulsy. Like I'm glad I finished it. Yeah. But, oh man, I, I was. That's actually. Oh man, that is such a good way to describe that final horde battle because, like, like I said, I got the thing most of the way down and then got caught up just on a stray piece of wood, and to the point that like I wasn't even sure because I'd run the loop about four or five times. I wasn't even 100 percent sure what I got caught on until it like zoomed out after I got eaten, and then I was like, oh. 
I guess technically that log sticks out about six inches further than the rest of the stack. So, okay, collision, I guess so. But yeah, I it is very much like, cause, cause like I said, like that good, when I got the horde down that far, that had been a good five-ish minutes of fighting, which is, I think, a little bit much. Just from, like, a straight-up, like, because, I mean, it is a, you can't stop or you will die, but also you need to perform some of these precision, like, pl trap placements and, and Molotov tosses and, and focused shooting and stuff like that. Like, there's a lot of intense mechanics that you have to do while also not stopping running or you'll die. Mm -hmm. And it, when that goes on, that kind of like um, intense gaming with that level of adrenaline, like you're going to get fatigued. And because I've actually seen this conversation going around a lot um, in the Warcraft community right now in terms of uh, raid battles, because a lot of the raiding has moved into like personal responsibility and, and one person can wipe the raid and everything else. And, some of these raid fights are going on for seven to 10 minutes. And it's like, when you have a fight that's designed to be that long, then you just naturally start to mentally fatigue. And I know like my hands would like get crampy and stuff and like, and, and sweaty because again, like <laughs> it's a really difficult adrenaline pumping moment. It's like my fingers are slipping all over the joysticks and stuff. And I'm like, God damn it. I'm going to die. This is the worst. And I think it's just, it is that dark Souls style of gameplay that I'm just, I, I don't like stuff that goes on for too long that, one small screw up sets me back all that time again. Do you know mm -hmm. what I mean? With like, mm -hmm. no, like I wish even as like as much of a crutch as it would be. I really wish that there was like a 50% save point, you know, like it just automatically you hit 50% Deacon says some sort of like line and then it saves that you've killed 50% of the horde and you can go back. <laughs> And uh, try again. A checkpoint would have been nice. I think, yeah. I don't know how I did it, but I think one of the hordes I fought, not the last one, but one of them, I, I ended up checkpointing at some point. And I, and <laughs> I, I don't know what it was, but yeah. Anyways, I, I agree with you. I think a checkpointing would have been nice, especially that last one, because you're right. Yeah. There is the, a lot of like, it's a, and it's also at night. I know we've been going on a lot about this one, but it really is like kind of a, a weird brick wall placed at the finish line. And it's at night, and there are a lot of darker corridors. And oh, I did it during the day. Oh, did you? Mine was at night, so oh. I wish I'd done it during. The I day. think, yeah, I was just. I think you can. Uh, I think you can decide, and that's why, like, I, I decided again. Like, I used what the game had taught me, and and tried oh. it during the day, so that they were all clumped up into the um, the middle building. So then I was able to do an. Uh, an attractor bomb and then two quick napalm throws and you know get a good 15 ish percent done right off the bat but then i was just running the whole time and unable to really get them pumped up again because but anyways enough about horde mechanics enough about final missions overall i i thought it was good and I just wish that I had maybe played it differently slash not had to had to do a full spoiler episode. But mm. I mean, again, that's on me for timing and travel and, and everything else that I just I fell behind. That's all. <laughs> but overall, I think um, I'm excited for a sequel because I think that um, now that like the boring 
old white guy story has been told, I hope they tell the the zombies are now the government story. Because I think that there's some really cool potential there. Yeah, definitely. I, I want less old white guy story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, I think that's going to do it for us this week. If you'd like to email the show, you can do so at info at gamersinpodcast.com. You can also talk to us on the Discord and tell us what you thought about Days Gone by going to bit.ly slash TGI Discord. If you'd like to follow us on Twitter, you can find me, Jocelyn, at JossPlays, Ryan is at R. Murphy, and don't forget to follow the show at The Gamers In. The video versions of all our episodes are streamed on Thursdays at 8.30 p.m. Eastern on twitch.tv slash thegamersin and are available after the fact over on Twitch. Don't forget to join us this week on Thursday again at 8.30 p.m. Eastern as we'll be talking all things E3. Hope to see you then. Bye.